0: The core components was, can we get the talent to do that if we give them the right missions? Can we build an ecosystem around them, so an army of people who care about what they do and can help them? And can we make it really powerful by underpinning that with good research?
1: And welcome to On the Edge, a podcast about making unexpected connections everywhere and anywhere. My name is Roland Harwood, and in each episode, we speak with someone who's making sense of our increasingly connected world. In this conversation, I spoke with Ella Goldner. Ella is a co founder of Zinc, a fund that backs entrepreneurs to build new tech enabled and mission driven commercial ventures. She's also the co-founder of Alma Angels, a network that brings together new and existing angel investors who are committed to actively supporting female founders. In this conversation, we talked about how and why missions are the best way to foster entrepreneurship in response to social challenges. We explored what the Zinc Venture Builder model looks like and how it's different. And then we spent some time looking at the challenges of co-founder relationships especially given that some people say that this is the number one cause of startup failure. And we also spoke about Zinc's latest mission all around the environment, which has just gone live. So I started out by asking her, what is a venture builder mission and who is it for? Enjoy.
0: The missions are really a way to draw that talent. They don't need to have an idea they don't need to have a company, but they need to have this frustration that they want to do more, either more impact or mm. take their impact and scale it on one hand. And then the other hand is that they have a real passion for entrepreneurship. So they believe that the most impact that they can have personally is by starting something new, breaking from either the system they're in or you know the environment they're in and starting something by themselves mm. with others, but to kind of catalyze that change or, or build that new product.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting way of framing it. and. To just attract the best talent, because our, our work defines us whether we like it or not. So we want to do work that's meaningful. Nobody wants to work for a company <laughs> that is damaging the world. Yeah,
0: and it's it's specific talent that fills this kind of itch. You know, you're frustrated. You know, you feel that you can do more. And you also want to have your cake and eat it. That's the other thing is, yeah. like, I think... You know, one of the things we we're trying to solve for is that it felt like talent had to make a choice. Like to your point, you have a boring job, but then you do something meaningful outside of your job or that you're doing a really meaningful work. But that means you're not making a lot of money. Um, you can't see that scale. It's not necessarily a sexy environment. And we're like, why can't you have your cake and eat it? Why can't you be working on the most pressing, important societal issues and do that by building a really successful business and being in an environment that is about growth and scaling rather than you know transformation and reduction? So yeah. we really believe that there is a model out there that hasn't been yet invented when we started, but there was an opportunity to do that. That was kind of our thesis. Let's show that we can build something that will bring this talent in, attract this best talent. Mm. And then we had to prove whether they could build those companies and whether others would see them as attractive. So there were a lot of assumptions to be tested, but the first one was really as to your point, can those missions really bring the best talent out of their comfort zones because they have this age, they have the frustration and they share that level of ambition.
1: Mm. And I know you've now had over 200 people go through um, Zinc missions. Is that right? Yeah. There are people who generally don't know each other before the program so they meet through the pro- program is that correct
0: correct yes exactly so those so the way those missions are delivered because it's a really grand idea say the first one we ever ran was on women and girls mental health mm-hmm. so how do you how do you like take that and make it you know, how do you build ventures around it? So the way we do that is we put a manifesto out. We say these are the areas that we think are, are really needing innovation in, in that space. This is the problem and these are the opportunities to innovate. And then we call for people to apply. And we have um, kind of a 10, even 11 to 1 ratio of applications to people we then offer a space. So there's, there's kind of a, a pretty rigorous, I guess, process to interview uh, the applicants and get to a point where there is a court of people. Those are people who come from all around the world. They left their jobs. They, dedica- they decided to dedicate kind of potentially, hopefully, the next 10 years of their lives, but mm. if nothing else, the next six months of their lives to full-time Uh, start a venture that is tackling this issue. So the people are united in in that sense that they're all committed to solving that specific mission. They will have left, you know, relocated to the UK. So 20% moved to the UK, left jobs, sometimes left partners (laughs) behind, and they're now coming to meet a co-founder. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of part of the proposition. And again, going back to those uh, different talent pools, some will, you know, be... tech people or products. Some will be researchers. Some will know how to scale or commercialize things. Um, So they have some are creatives. They'll have different backgrounds and they'll meet a co-founder there and they'll have six months to also decide what is the specific problem they're trying to solve as a team and start ideating and, and, and iterating that. So um, they, they meet new people. We encourage them to break up a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to try different things, not to go to the first person who they would love to have, you know, maybe coffee with or go out for a drink, but people who compliment them. But what you know is that the room is full of people who are equally committed. They all left something behind. They all had to sacrifice. They took a risk and they all share the passion for that mission and they all believe in the idea or the ambition to build a commercial venture. So you kind of know that you're in a relatively safe environment, but you want to take risks together.
1: Yeah. So I'd love to dive a bit deeper into how you make those longer-lasting uh, relationships between people who've never met mm-hmm. before the program. Because, um, But there's a Silicon Valley-based VC called Gary Tan. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he talks about the number one cause of startup failure Mm -hmm. is co-founder conflict, either too much or too little, which I thought was interesting. (laughs) So you need to find the right balance between agreeing and disagreeing. So you've now had 200 plus people go through the program. So what are you noticing or what are you learning about healthy, productive co-founder relationships as they're forming through the Zinc program?
0: Uh, It's a really good question. So it has different layers. First of all, I think in terms of what I think really works or what needs happening is this alignment around the vision. That's the foremost, most important thing. And I think we see people not giving enough attention to that. And actually in a few cases in the past when people got the opportunity to be invested in and that clarity of thought around the vision had to be played out, that's when they broke um, Mm -hmm. broke up because that misalignment really, those cracks became real kind of breaking points. The program is designed to reduce that to still, you know, it's still a risk, but to a minimum by the fact that they're all buying into this kind of mission. So that's kind of one, but still um, needs alignment. I think the kind of um, the conversations and the communication is probably the second most important thing. And we do a lot of work um, in terms of people have personal coaches, so they can uh, speak to the coach. The coach does not Share that kind of conversation or, or what happened within those conversations to us as investors. And it's a safe space for a person to kind of, a founder, to work through their own kind of block potential blockages and how to thrive as a founder. Mm-hmm. But we also offer team coaching. So once teams are formed, we provide that support, again, to be able to have these difficult conversations. And I think making that something that is of the nature of their relationship is really important. So we encourage that through coaching. Um, when people start teaming up, we also give them this kind of list of questions. But it's a bit like when you date someone and in the first date you go, do you want to have kids? And It's like having those awkward conversations at the outset, but what's the point of dating someone for three months and then realizing they don't? So the same is like, what kind of company do you want to have? What's your vision? Would you move to another market if that need was needed, et cetera. So it's being able to deep dive into those conversations that might come later in, in down the line mm. and to bring them to the forefront. So you get, a, you get rid of all these kind of potential blockers so you can really focus on the actual kind of vision and problem and users and, and product, um, which is another thing. And I, I would say the last thing is we, The way we, when we interview people, is interviewing them on what we think would make them good co-founders. So, on one hand, you want that determination and a bit of like seeing through fog. So, you have that kind of ability to see forward and and not really care about what people think and that level of confidence. But on the other hand, you do want that coachability and openness to being kind of given feedback. And I think it's a fine line. And and that, I think, what makes a good co-founder because we're looking for co-founders and not sole founders yes so i think those are kind of probably the 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 ways the the kind of the means that we're using but also the characteristics of the people that we're trying to kind of bring onto the program
1: yeah no i like that and i think the analogy with dating or marriage (laughs) or what have you is is a very apt one i've founded three or co-founded three businesses and and they've all felt like a marriage of sorts i suppose
0: But it's building that trust, right? Because I think that's what we're trying to emulate in six months, whereas Mm. you work with those people for many years and you knew them, you knew their, like, what... Gets them going. What you know, how to work with them, and I think the challenge is that in those six months you need to condense that level of learning and also the trust. Yeah. So I think the trust comes from this alignment of values and vision, which we're I think shortcutting that process by bringing people through that. And the second thing is really working r- in a high pressured environment. So yeah. you have you're kind of trying to squeeze what would naturally happen in like three four years into yeah. six months, and that nature of the environment it means that it's there's a lot of you know, testing for productivity and alignment and breaking up really quickly. So once you kind of know it's not working, not waste any time because. Yeah.
1: yeah, I won't. know. Uh, is it Diane, your director of talent yeah. talked about normalizing, breakup breakups. Yeah. Yeah, sort of normalizing breakups or something. Yeah. And you sort of, not only do you break up, but then you talk about why and, yeah, exactly. you know, in a, a w- which just felt very healthy and, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot we can learn from that. <laughs> so but if we can just expand on that theme just for a moment. So you're you've co-founded uh, Zinc with two other co-founders, is that right?
0: Yeah, so um, Saul and Paul.
1: Saul and Paul. Yeah. <laughs> That's how
0: and, I choose my co-founders. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's well, a great strategy. Whether it rhymes, <laughs> the names yeah, rhyme. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. Am I right in saying you and Paul don't have a background in, in VC? So mm-hmm. I just wonder if you could expand a little bit on how you found each other and how you collaborate.
0: So, one, so Saul uh, is Saul Klein and he's a, a very well-experienced uh, venture capitalist. So he's a VC. I was actually introduced to him before I was introduced to Paul and really similarly to what you're thinking, it was I was I knew I wanted to create something of impact that yeah. was about people, then that was kind of entrepreneurial in mind. And someone suggested to introduce me to Saul and I yeah. said, but I'm not interested in this is I did an MBA, I didn't do finance, I didn't go to VC or private equity or investment banking by design. I didn't want to do that. So I was like the guy who introduced us I said, you, you're not really <laughs> hearing my brief. He's like, no, no, no. Um, you you be quiet, one Sela. <laughs> that was Jan, by the way. Oh, my, my ah, was yeah. it? Oh, okay. Yeah, there we go, small, uh, yeah, small world. world. So he said, just be quiet, listen to me, and go and see Sol. And, and that was the beginning, really, of the relationship. And, mm-hmm. and Sol was really interested, I think, to your point, thinking about how do we harness what we know about what works in in venture capital, because I think there are a lot of good things. It's like saying capitalism is bad, right? It's like, it's how you use it and and the models and and the idea of like actually finding people with great ideas, entrepreneurs, and giving them the space and the capital and the resources to then scale quickly Mm -hmm. and and do that, you know, and and using what we know that works from, um, you know, the startup world. How can we apply that to other kind of things that really matter was the starting point for that conversation. And I think I'm really, really happy that we were introduced because I think that's when we really aligned around the talent and the pace. And I was working with large corporates and like your organizations that are so slow um, to innovate. And actually, I think our design to really um, not take on innovation I think uh, you know large organizations especially the ones you know that are um, that are traded and you know pension funds invest in them they don't want to innovate and they shouldn't be innovating it's not why pension funds invest in them so it's kind of how do you how do you break away from that and, and drive uh, innovation and really groundbreaking innovation outside of that and then Sol and Paul so Paul is Paul Kirby who's my other co-founder Paul and I are working full-time on the business and Paul spent time um, leading KPMG's kind of global um, public service um, practice and also took some time out to work in the government as the head of the policy unit. So, he's seen public sector said, I tried to fix it from within, from outside. It doesn't work. <laughs> we are We can't rely on them to do everything. They can do some stuff, but quite limited. So, I guess we all came with this frustration around the limitation of some of the systems in which we were operating. So, Saul saying, you know, startups are great, but they're solving not necessarily the most meaningful problems. Paul saw public service is great, but, you know, really slow and change is is not like innovation is not going to come from that. And I saw corporates that have the reach and the ability to impact, but actually are really slow to do that and, and, and rejecting innovation. And so we were all kind of frustrated from our own experiences. And we said, can we create a new model that is taking the best of those worlds mm. as well as the best of VC, the best of research and, and how do we bring the talent around it? So I guess the core components was, can we get the talent to do that? if we give them the right missions, can we build an ecosystem around them, so an army of people who care about what they do and can help them? And can we make it really powerful by underpinning that with good research? So everything we do needs to have evidence to it, needs to be not only engaging, but actually effective. We know that what we're doing is going to be Mm. solving those problems. So those were kind of the ingredients.
1: So we're here in Summerstown in London. I don't know if you've seen the film Summerstown from 2008. It tells the story of... Mm-hmm. Some young people growing up in this part of London, you know, not that long ago, fifteen years ago. It's it's a beautifully observed, gentle comedy by Shane Meadows. Mm-hmm. Anyway,
0: sorry. I will have, I will see it. Um,
1: I know local Globe and Zinc and and uh, are part of something called the Phoenix Group. This part of London may be the next Palo Alto, mm-hmm. which is a bold claim, just, <laughs> but an exciting one. But I'm yeah. I'm curious if you can just tell us a bit more about how Zinc fits into a bigger ecosystem here in this part of London.
0: So uh, so the the term I think was coined by Saul, but he that's kind of Saul's uh, pitch, the so Saul Klein, um, yeah. about the new Palo Alto. And I think it's it's really about being in a location that on one hand, as I, I guess I haven't seen that documentary or that movie, but I can imagine talks about this local community, the things that came out of it, which is amazing, but also the danger of that becoming... You know what we've seen in, in like Silicon Valley in San Francisco, where it becomes completely detached by the um, level of investment and innovation and the kind of talent that comes to work here. Because if you look across the street, you have the Creek and the talent, the Alan Turing Institute and Google and Facebook and all these kind of big offices of great companies and research centers and the British Library. And so, how do you make sure that it all kind of fits together and works and blends uh, and everyone benefits from it? So I think that's kind of the vision that uh, Robin. In who's Soul Dad and mm. Sol and the whole kind of Phoenix group have mm. put and which is why they've Based themselves here um, in Phoenix Court. So they have a long list and really investing in the community. And us being part of it is really um, key for us. So we, the first uh, ever program we ran was in Camden's mm-hmm. Town Hall, and now we're back in Houston House. And we found this area to be really zinky in the sense that it's really well located. It's really central. Um, for now, I think, I don't know, you haven't been to the office this morning, but we have um, a group of work experience um, students come who mm-hmm. come from actually a local school here. Oh, okay. So it's really a about kind of how do you link yourself um, with the community and how do we make sure that we all kind of benefit? And for us, it's great because they're now testing some of the new products that came out of our um, latest program on children's mental health and young people mental health. So there's a lot of value exchange in that. And I think the idea is that... Uh, it's it's kind of creating that ecosystem and bringing the world to that place as well. So, you know, location-wise, you're very close to all the main kind of, you know, the Eurostar, trains going to Sheffield, yes. Cambridge. Yes. Um, so it, we do like the idea of being physically uh, located here. And for Zinc specifically, we do a lot of, offline events, we want people to be coming in and engaging and getting involved in in that kind of physical space, because eventually what we're trying to do is bring people who care about our missions Mm -hmm. from across the ecosystem. So whether those are investors or researchers, people working in policy creatives, um, people working in NGOs, and so that physical ability to interact around the mission, the thing you care about, but really meeting people face to face. I think even in a post-COVID world is just unparalleled. So we're definitely doubling down on on that physicality and offline. Yeah. And I think this is um area. Er- this area in London is you know it's super centrally located. It is really diverse, um and so I think um it's probably one of yeah the best yeah. locations to do that.
1: Yeah. No. I um. Many years ago, I was seconded to the mayor of London's office for a, sh- a period of time, and the master plans were being drawn up for this area, mm-hmm. which at the time, I don't know if this is still true, it was the biggest sort of economic regeneration plan mm-hmm. in Britain since oh. World War II. Oh. Um, and it's this whole kind of triangle from King's Cross and Euston, and, and I guess it's, yeah, Summerstown and, and beyond. And now, you know, this is 15 years ago or more, mm-hmm. but um, it's, it's exciting to see that coming to fruition. but. But also, uh, this neighbourhood has a, a strong history and legacy in the communities who have lived here, um, you know, as told beautifully in that film, which I, I do recommend yes. everyone checks out because it just tells that story very beautifully. So I'd love to come on to um, the latest Think mission, which is all around uh, the environment, or maybe you could tell us a bit more about what you're trying to do. And in particular, you're focusing on kind of B2B businesses, aren't you? So could you tell us a bit more about the um, the the mission and why, why you've chosen this one?
0: This yeah, one? sure. So the- the next program uh, or the next mission is on the environment, and we've waited for some time before we did it. And I think we wanted to get it right. We wanted mm. to, to make sure that you know we all cared about it. What we we needed to know what was the zinc perspective on that. And I think um, we finally got to the point where we had the kind of the confidence to run it, which was around specifically, as I say, industries that have the most harm. So. I guess what we were trying to go is to say, if we were to run this program, how do we make sure it has the most impact Mm -hmm. in terms of what it's trying to achieve? And I think we've, um, on one hand, which is great, there's a lot of conversation and awareness. Hopefully, I think you would agree around climate change and the need um, to both um, mitigate as well as to adapt to the environmental crisis. But I think what we've seen is the first wave of innovation that would go and again not saying that in a in a judgmental or crit, in a in a criticism but the low hanging fruits type of stuff so mm-hmm. where 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 were the opportunities to engage which felt um you know tapping into maybe consumer and users uh, potential kind of appetite, things like that. And I think what we've wanted to do is to try and go a bit deeper, a bit harder. We like to take um, some of our values is like, how do you, how do you, how do you go for the harder to solve problems? And I think within the environment kind of space, we thought actually B2B looking at how do we help those industries that have either the most, they do most harm or have the most Um, potential to make an impact? How do we service them? How do we help them? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because once you you start building solutions for them, then your impact and your reach is, is massive. Um, So we've decided to double down on that. And again, the idea, I think, is to find people that either have an industry knowledge. And then, as always, we also look for the people who can help kind of solve those problems. So people have more kind of commercial uh, skills or uh, product and tech skills. Mm. So those are the two kind of um, groups of people we're looking at. And people who who understand as well as uh, how to work in a B2B environment, which is quite different. But we've seen examples. So we posted a blog post, which was an interview with Michelle. She's the founder of Supercritical, which is um, Mm -hmm. actually one of the portfolio companies here. And her background is uh, she did product for Songkick. And throughout her kind of professional career, she was very much kind of a B2C, D2C product person. But I think she had her moment of calling, I think it was also after she, uh, she became a mom and she realized that, you know, she wants to use her skills and network and experience for something more meaningful. And her analysis was actually, I need to work with um, B2B clients. So she developed a B2B solution Mm. called Super Critical, super interesting, uh, worth looking at. But I think those kind of going back to the point we made about talent, how do you mobilize talent? It's like people are willing to make that shift going away from where their comfort zone is or their skills and to build something different. Because of of the mission, because of the impact that it's going to have, so she's an example of you know a, a talented person came from product, but now not necessarily in a B two B space, but wanting to do that in the B the B two B space in order to gain that impact that she's looking to have in the world.
1: Yeah, well, I'm I for one, I'm very excited that you're moving into this space. I've. We've been working in this space for a, a number of years with all different parts of the the ecosystem, so startups, investors, corporates, uh, to some extent, kind of government regulators, academia mm-hmm. as well. And it, and it feels quite fragmented, if I'm honest with you, and it needs pulling together. And and I think the, the different talent pools and the different kind of networks that you tap into at Zinc has the, the opportunity to, to really make a change there, and especially the involvement of you and the likes of Saul and Paul and everyone mm-hmm. else that you have involved i think i think we can learn a lot from the kind of the wider transformation of the uk tech ecosystem mm-hmm. but now really doubling down on climate i think
0: what um, would be your tip to us and having like work in the space and
1: i don't know what the solutions are but i think there's a i think there's a scale-up funding gap so there's lots of seed capital for experimental kind of mm-hmm. projects and there's lots of institutional capital but i think there's a gap in the middle to mm-hmm. kind of Uh, grow those kind of scalable kind of climate tech businesses in the middle. I think part of it is a mindset shift or a narrative shift. It's from being, you know, the number one problem on the planet to also Mm -hmm. being the number one opportunity for innovation and entrepreneurship. So it's just shifting that mindset somewhat. And I think there just needs to be, and I know this is how Zinc works, more kind of cross-sector collaboration, sharing of what doesn't work as well as what does work. I think there's too much kind of short-sighted, slightly small-minded kind of competitive instincts mm. which are quite understandable um but i think uh, frankly we haven't got time to kind <laughs> of just carve out our own little mini successes if if um the the wider impact of that isn't felt so yeah. i think those are some of the challenges and i think zinc can be you know an active mm-hmm. part of that solution i don't know if do you agree with that assessment
0: yeah no i mean yeah absolutely And I think interesting you talk about the kind of the um, collaboration I and I think that mission led approach, that kind of higher cause is something Mm -hmm. that had worked in the past in the other missions we had where people are kind of keen to get involved, even if it's, you know, you know, their later stage companies or entrepreneurs who want to kind of help build the next in line or it's people who work within those systems mm. we're trying to disrupt because they are f- equally frustrated, might not be able to take the time out or want to take the risk, or maybe not be just mm. not good entrepreneurs that you don't think they will be, but they're willing to support. And I think, so I think you're right. I think the ability to give them a reason to do that in a collaborative way, um, I think people want to do that. I don't mm. think people are ne- necessarily wanted to be that kind of short-sighted or protective. I think if you gave people the right platform and the right narrative, they would want to be you know, helping yeah. others and, and building those solutions because, as you say, you know, time is running out. But it's just like every moment, if you read the news, there's a, a reason to feel despair and also thinking, you know what? like. It's not going to work. Like, Mm. we're already way behind. So, I think it's just how do you get, how do you turn that around and again remind people of the opportunities, remind Mm. people. And I think COVID is just a really good example. One of my mentors um, is Kate Bingham, and she led the task force for the vaccination. And Uh, um, she's an amazing person, Mm. really super inspirational. And there was a a documentary, and basically it's talking about how she put together the team and, you know, how Mm. things happened. And, And really, I think the ability to, when people people come together around this uh, sense of criticality and the need to kind of cut through everything in order to achieve something in a very timely way, showed and proved the fact that like you can get through Mm. everything and red tape and Mm. stakeholders and all of these things and even like cross kind of countries collaboration. And she finishes the the Mm. documentary by saying, imagine if that was applied to climate. Uh, yeah, on yeah. the environment and you're like oh uh, can you do that yeah. <laughs> but she went back to her day job as a VC which she's very good at but, but I think that idea and I think that's the frustration with mm. what we're doing now is it's a bit like people don't necessarily feel that sense of urgency on mm. a day-to-day basis whereas with COVID it felt like a, a shock and this is not a shock because it's kind of rising on like very fragmented micro you know temperature uh, yeah, yeah. So, like, like you, a f-
1: the frog bit, you left frog, frog and, exactly and, and which yeah. someone told
0: me they actually jump which I, I've yeah. never checked <laughs> <laughs> I need to check. Maybe I'll try it at home. Don't yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that's mm. lack, lack of urgency yeah. and lack of sense of actually it's worth putting your time and effort into it because you can't solve it. I think that's the thing we need to probably mm. overcome.
1: But I totally agree with, well, uh, yeah, no, that's fascinating. And I think, yeah, COVID was in many ways, not to diminish how serious that was, but a sort of dry run for the way that we need to work to tackle the climate emergency. Uh, so, yeah, that's really interesting. But how do we create that yeah. sense,
0: same sense of urgency, mm. right? Because that's the thing that really drove behavior.
1: Yeah, I, <laughs> I, don't, I, if I, I wish I knew. I wish exactly. I knew because it's, you know, it's the, I would say unarguably the number one problem on the planet, but also the number one opportunity. I don't know if you know, yeah. Cara Swisher talks about the world's first trillionaire will be the person who tackles the climate crisis meaningfully. And whether you believe the world should have trillionaires or, or not, that's a different debate. <laughs> and it's just a huge opportunity. And I really liked your point around... People want to help people. You know, I, I think yeah. we're an altruistic species. If you create opportunities for people to get involved, yes, even if it's just making an introduction or making an investment or sharing some knowledge, whatever it might be, you know, we all have different things we can bring to this. So, um, absolutely. So it ought to be possible. It's certainly needed. So, I'm um, yeah, I'm excited and uh, to be working with you and, mm-hmm. and that you're you're focusing on this. So, um, so yeah, great. Just wanted to. Uh, I guess it links to that sharing knowledge piece, which I think is very relevant to everything we've talked about and especially the kind of climate challenge. But we first met, you were involved in something called Open Co a long time ago, and I think I was first connected to you by a wonderful woman called Carmen mm-hmm. um, in getting involved in that. And I wonder if we could just finish with, um, you just tell us a little bit about that and what you learned from that experience.
0: Yeah. So I guess OpenCo, then rebranded Co, was born out of um, actually San Francisco which was a way of getting behind the curtain or getting into the authentic stories behind behind brands. And um, my boss at the time, I was working in a media agency, came back and said, oh, this is an amazing thing. He tried to tell me what it was and I couldn't get it. And it's like think open houses but for companies like yeah. oh okay I get it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so that was our pitch basically um
1: open house being where you can check out fancy architectural exactly. buildings
0: so it was the be, same yeah. idea yeah. around how do you get like to, to meet the leaders of those companies mm. and get a, a even like a tour of the building but yeah. seeing like employees and stuff so mm-hmm. that was the starting point and I think a few things that I've learned from that is a people are really curious to to understand the stories behind things and yeah. I think going back to this idea of storytelling also yeah. about climate you know there's Nothing like narratives. We are human species. Mm-hmm. We, we, we mobi- We are mobilized through narratives. So yeah. the importance of storytelling, I think, is one. Mm-hmm. Second thing, that was like a passion project for me that I did while I was working in the agency. And I think, as a, you know, just thinking about people and and what you do with your life, even if even if you are in a situation where you're in a maybe a boring job or you know there is a reason why you're in a certain maybe frustrating environment and you're locked into a situation. It could be for financial reasons, whatever. There is a way of doing things that are um, bringing you that kind of motivation and joy through passion projects. And I've built an amazing network. I met some of my best friends through that. I met you mm-hmm. who now in, in like, you know, you introduced me to Ellie who's yeah. now working. So I think all those things like, and when you do things you're passionate about, it brings the best out of you. Yeah. So that would be the second thing I would say that is important. And for me, that was also my entry point into the kind of tech startup innovation, um, kind of scene in London, yeah. um, cause. I came here. I'm Israeli, yeah. <laughs> as you can tell. And then I did an MBA, and, and, and I felt like I was really missing that part mm. of me. And I grew up in a, with a mother who's an entrepreneur, and I had mm. a lot of kind of exposure to that in Israel, but not here. And it was like a really good way mm. to tap into that and reminded of, you know, actually that pace of change and mm. how people build on one another and that willingness to share and be mm. helpful. And I think the ecosystem had really evolved. So this was, you know, probably now you know, 10 years ago, maybe eight years ago. But I think now as the ecosystem is maturing, you start seeing that kind of wave of successful entrepreneurs wanting to give back. And Mm. it's really growing and shaping and forming, which is, I think, exciting.
1: I don't know Israel very well, but I did spend a summer on a kibbutz when I was 19, (laughs) which was a very profound, had a profound impact on me at the time. And I'm just kind of curious how maybe growing up in Israel and and some of your kind of background there has, uh, you know, how is that, how is the startup ecosystem there different to the one over here? And and how has that informed you as a person and the work that you do?
0: So, I mean, my mom is an entrepreneur. So I think just seeing it at home Mm. and that culture is really helping and that kind of kept being there in the background yeah, yeah, until yeah. I've started seeing because it was like, am I one or not? So that's kind of helpful. And then I think just this nature of risk-taking is there because it's like a, a very um, obvious career choice, if you wish, to, to, to be an entrepreneur. It's not something... I remember it's like you know, I'm an engineer by training. I moved to the UK and like being an engineer was not like a cool thing and being an entrepreneur was not. And I'm thinking, (laughs) where did I go wrong? So I did an MBA obviously, but you know, just to fix that. But, but it was really interesting because I come from a culture where both of them are like great career choices and here it wasn't. And I think it's changing. So, and by the way, with OpenCo, we did a junior OpenCo version, which was all about getting children into STEM. And, Mm. and I think that kind of mind shift is happening. And, being kind of in tech and STEM and science is becoming more and more kind of a cool thing to do, whereas in Israel, like that's the coolest. And then also entrepreneurship, the more successful entrepreneurs you have to look up to, to see, you know, to know, Mm. then I think um, the easier it is to imagine. And and you're really now speaking to those who are now doing, you know, their A-levels, they are going to be the next generation of that. Mm. So I think that's the second thing. And then I think... It was interesting when we were thinking about the strategy for Zinc and, you know, other venture builders. Mm. So we very much, with their support and huge respect, follow EF's story, so Entrepreneur First. And I think, you know, what Matt and Alice built is phenomenal. And Matt has been really, like, they've been really helpful with Mm. sharing, by the way, going back to sharing knowledge and Mm. um, supporting us. And I think they've went with their model, which is going... To a lot of other markets and building there. Uh, Whereas for us, actually, because of the ecosystem Mm -hmm. and the locality, physicality, the deeper kind of relationships with universities, with NGOs, with investors, we've decided to double down Mm -hmm. on the UK. And, And I remember at the time when we were sitting, Paul and I were sitting in New York, we went to see, oh, can we take zinc elsewhere? And I remember telling him, it's a bit like Tel Aviv is the best place to incubate you know, a company, it's Mm -hmm. definitely not a good place to scale. We're very limited in our ability to scale to our neighbors, we're a very small country and the default is like you start there and then you scale in the US or hopefully now more in Europe. And and in a way, that's what I think we're trying to achieve with Zinc. We want to be the best place in the world Mm. for anyone who want to experiment the ways To impact Mm. at scale. So, we're the destination. So, wherever you are in the world, you come here, you do that, and then you can take it elsewhere if needed. Mm. But we want to be the place of choice for if you're really talented and ambitious.
1: Thank you, Ella. I really liked what she said at the end about being the best place in the world to experiment and have impact at scale, and that climate change could be well suited to an industry led vaccine task force equivalent and how place matters, and the idea that Summerstown could be the next Palo Alto. So please do check out the links to Zinc and Ella in the episode description. This podcast was brought to you by Liminal, a collective intelligence community focused on scaling climate tech ventures and building climate action ecosystems. I'd like to thank all of our community members, clients, partners, and patrons. If you'd like to find out a bit more about Liminal, please check out www.weareliminal.co. Lastly, can I ask you to like and subscribe to this podcast, or perhaps share it with others who might like it as well. Until next time, please keep on connecting people and ideas. If you do, you never know what might happen. Thank you, and goodbye.